my daddy was. He was the life of the party. And so we had a beautiful relationship. My dad received news that he had cancer. I don't remember anybody sitting down going, hey, I just want to let you know this is what's going on. This is how our lives are going to change. I actually have a letter that my mom kept that I wrote to God asking him to heal my dad and to heal my mom because she was hurting so much. So I often tell people I lost my mom and dad in a day. I lost my dad physically when I was nine. I lost my mom emotionally. We still had a very, very tumultuous, probably torturous relationship because the, the part where we were just butting heads was that both of us were hurting and couldn't talk about it. Yeah. I remember her telling me I cried fake tears at my dad's funeral. And I remember telling her that I wish she was the one that was gone. Interestingly enough, I came to know Christ, um, but my relationship with Christ mimicked, and we know this again with attachment, the relationship I had with my mom. You know, I'm a believer that God's gonna do what he needs to do to get your attention. God was in the room yelling at me to call my mom. But I think that was the first time that we ever understood each other and understood both of us were in pain. From that day forward, I went home every weekend. And two years later, she died of cancer. And so I met um, what was my first husband, um, first abusive marriage I was in. Um, any love was better than no love. I got into my second abusive marriage. Found myself in my third abusive relationship. And I woke up one morning, it was an April morning. The thoughts were so distinct. I'm either gonna wind up dead because I can't handle the pain anymore or I can get some help. And I remember yeah. getting out to my car and I buried my face in the stairwell. I'm like, God, you can never use me. I know I'm too broken. But thank you so much that you brought me home. And I opened, I was at that place again. Um, and I opened up my, my Bible and I said, God, if you got something for me, now's a good time to tell me because I don't think I've got much fight left. Psalm 78. And he said, here it is. And the, and the passage is, let my tell the next generation of my power and might to come. Those out there that think God's after them, that think God can never give them because they've done too much wrong, I'm proof that that's just not the God that we serve. Hi, my name is Perry Reed. I'm a wife, a counselor, a listener, an advocate, a professional student, a dog lover, a baby hog, and I play for a living. And this is my get up story. Well, hey girl, welcome to this week's episode of Get Up Girl, a podcast inspired by women of all cultures and backgrounds who have been toe-to-toe in the ring of discouragement, disappointment, defeat, and how they got back up to fight. Each episode, we'll be discussing, well, all the things. Marriage, business, parenting, racial divides, grief, loss, and everything in between. We believe that you will be encouraged by these women through their stories. So come on, girl. It's time to get up. All right, so I'm really excited to have you today. I'm excited to be here. our story, thanks, <laughs> because our story goes back a good way. A good way. I mean, we've known each other probably a decade at least, yeah, huh? at least. Yeah. So Perry and I, we... Where did we meet? Was it church? At the church. Okay. Yeah. I think we've always known each other because we went to another local church together. 
And then at Simple, I think, is when we really That's connected. when we connected, yes. Yeah. Okay. And we have a lot of commonalities. We're, we're both educators. Yes. And we actually both taught at the same school, but just not at the same subject. Same. Thank you, Jesus, because I hate math. But go ahead. <laughs> and I hate English. Okay, so see, it worked <laughs> out. Perfect. <laughs> I um, remember us having discussions. Do you remember us? This is when I first started counseling, and you came in my office and said, I really need help understanding the difference between lie, lay, and lay. Yes. I don't, I don't know that I still understand. <laughs> but I think I remember when we were talking. <laughs> I forgot I came in there and I was like so serious. It's like, I really need you to help me. Exactly. Um, with lie, lay, and lane. I think I remember when you were expl- <laughs> when you were explaining it to me, I was looking at you with this blank <laughs> stare. And you were like, are you not, are you not getting it? And I was like, I'm not getting it. <laughs> but, um, let me solve for X and I can do it. Yeah, yeah, not me. But I can't tell you the difference between lie and X is in the alphabet. Why do they mix that with math? Do they know what damage they do to people? I totally forgot about that conversation. Yes. Um, but anyway, we I... digress. Yes. So, back to why we're here. Um, we're also, a disclaimer, we're probably going to cut up and laugh a whole lot during this conversation. Um, but I, obviously, I mean, with us, our friendship going back so long, I know your story and you have been such an inspirational person in my life, even on a personal level, but also just, I mean, you were one of the people who encouraged me to go teach. Mm -hmm. And, um, I remember when I was coming on at the community college where we both taught, I mean, I had a ton of questions for you and I was like, what do you do here? What do you, you know? Um, but you have, you really have been such an encouragement to me just throughout the years. And even in the years where it's been maybe a couple of like some gaps where we haven't seen each other or talked as much and then our paths cross again. And then, um, we ended up working together in ministry, which was so awesome. And you on the counseling end, and I learned so much from you there. And, um, so I just, I really admire and respect you and I just wanted to have you today so you could share your amazing testimony because you have a very powerful one. So thank you. I'm excited. It's been several years since I've shared my testimony. So I'm excited to, to do that again. And to, it's just a reminder of who God is. Yes. You know, it's, it's really not about anything that I did, but about his grace and his mercy, his redemption um, and how it never ends. Yeah. That's true. Well, so you, I mean, you have the floor, so you, you can start, um, maybe just kind of give anyone who may be listening a little background on, you know, how you grew up and, well, really, it's your story, so you tell it however you would like. <laughs> okay. Um, so once upon a time, no, I'm just kidding. So I did, I had, you know, the dream childhood, I guess you would say. Um, I was born here in Bossier City, and mm-hmm. my dad was the uh, epitome of just the ultimate dad. I mean, he was fun and he was loving. He was outgoing. And my mom um, was more the practical one because he wasn't. Um, so, you know, I have more of my dad's personality, but I have more of like my mom's work ethic. And if I'm ever practical, it comes from her. You know? um, so that's okay. So the lie lay in lane. <laughs> exactly. That's my mama. That's where it came from. <laughs> um, but my daddy was. He was the life of the party. And so we. Um, had a beautiful relationship. I was pro- I was definitely a daddy's girl. I was an only child. Mm-hmm. And my parents um, had a pretty rough upbringing. My mom did, I should say. I don't I don't think my father did. I think he grew up with three brothers and a sister, and it was party all the time, you know. Yeah. Um, have a good time. It was a loving family. Everybody in my family grew up in the South. My dad grew up in South Carolina. My mom grew up in Houston. They met 
And my mom had grown up in an abusive environment um, mm. and had been married before, had children by then, but he was abusive. And so she had had really hard life. And I think um, coming into uh, with my dad, who was wonderful, but I think I was a little bit of a trigger for her. So we, we didn't connect on an ultimate level that some moms and, and um, children do. But my dad filled that gap because he was like, I got this, you know. Um, So we grew up, everything was good until I was about eight. And um, my dad received news that he had cancer. Um, Mm -hmm. Both my parents smoked. And he, from that point, we moved to South Carolina. Um, He was a salesman. My mom was a stay-at-home mom. And he did really well. But once he got sick, obviously we needed help um, with that. And I remember a lot of... A lot of things that occurred during that time. Um, but my parents grew up in a generation, if you don't talk about it, it didn't happen. Yeah. And so, yeah. you know, nobody really sat down and said, hey, Perry, this is what's happening. Um, mm-hmm. And so forth. So I often tell people I lost my mom and dad in a day. I lost my dad physically when I was nine. I lost my mom emotionally. Mm-hmm. And so I remember the night that my dad died. And in the middle of the night, my mom took me over to my grandparents' house. But our neighbors were there. And I remember going over to the neighbor's house. And, like, we're playing. I even remember being at the hospital, in fact, when my dad died. And I walked out. And there was a hearse there already. And I asked my mom, oh, what's that? And she said, oh, that's a hearse. That's what's going to take your dad to whatever. And I'm like, okay. You know, I'm still not understanding. Um, So, you know, the thought of a nine-year-old watching her dad die of cancer, oh, he'll get better. He's my dad. He's going to get better. Yeah. Um, Again, nobody explained what was really going on. And then from that point on, my mom was in survival mode. Yeah, I I have a question. Did any, you said like no one really talked about it. So when your dad was diagnosed, I mean, did they even tell you like, hey, your dad's sick or like, was there a conversation there? I don't remember their conversation being there. I I must have known he was sick. I actually have a letter that my mom kept that I wrote to God asking him to heal my dad and to heal my mom because she was hurting so much. Mm -hmm. So at some point, it must have been told to me, or either that or I just recognized my dad's not feeling good, you know, um, on there. So, you know, but I don't remember anybody sitting down going, hey, I just want to let you know this is what's going on. This is how our lives are going to change. You know, nothing like that occurred. Um, They sent me to school like regular. I mean, but I did the things, and this is where I think I have such a passion with working with children is that I acted out in ways that allowed me to be with my dad. So I would get sick at school all of a sudden. Oh, yeah. And somebody would have to come get me. Well, mm. It allowed me to go home. Did I know I was doing that at nine? Of course not. Right. But my body was responding because it knew something wasn't right. Um, Which is yeah, uh, un- just amazing how that works. How the it mind really is. Yeah. How, our, how our, everything is connected and works together. So um, he died and my mom went into survival mode because she had learned at an early age, you don't talk back, you don't talk about things, pain hurts, you just cut it off. Yep. Well, when you numb one emotion, you numb them all. And so here I was, nine years old, and going, what the heck just happened? Mm-hmm. And I turned, people think I'm joking, but if my mom could be here, she would tell you I was telling the truth. Um, I turned into the spawn of Satan. I mm. did. I was mean. I was hateful. I was, um, I lashed out in anger at anything that breathed. 
that yeah. that was any type of parental figure. Um, but my mom got the brunt of it because she was the only yeah. one. And and you're I, you might have said this I can't remember, but you're an only child. I Is am that an correct? only child. Okay. Yeah, and so. When, after my dad died, of course, the one thing I forgot to mention is neither of my parents had an education. So my dad, my mom dropped out of school when she was in eighth grade. My dad dropped wow. out when he was in tenth grade. My dad made a, he was a successful businessman. Um, he owned his own business here for a little bit, Gilbert's Appliances. And then um, he just was a great salesman and just had that personality that could do that. Yeah. So my mom was thrown into a world of coming from a stay-at-home mom to I've got to provide now. And so we come back here uh, because I think she was familiar with the area. I don't know. I, I don't really know why we came back here, honestly. Um, but what I do know is that my dad dies. He's no longer home. We only lived in South Carolina maybe about six to eight months longer. I, rem- I know before my 10th birthday we were back here and he died almost nine. And so, um, he come, we come back here and not only did I come back without my dad, but my dad's buried now somewhere else. In South Carolina. In South Carolina. Oh, wow. So there's none of that finality that I really get to have, mm-hmm. um, there. So we come back here, I'm mean as I'll get out and it's all because I'm in pain. Right, and so my mom's in pain and doesn't know how to grieve. I'm in pain and grieving and don't know, but what my mom probably didn't know I was doing these things. Um, so she comes back here and has to go to work. She works at Ellis, she worked at Ellis Pottery for years, yeah. for years, and um, they were good to her, and that's where she could succeed and thrive. And you know, she made it, she made it work for us. Um, you know, we were without, but. I was never going to be a popular kid. I was never going to have the latest styles, any of that, because we shouldn't have the money to, yeah. to do all those things. But I had food on the table, and I had a roof over my head and those kind of things. But we still had a very, very tumultuous, probably torturous relationship, because the the part where we were just butting heads was that both, both of us were hurting and couldn't talk about it. Yeah. And so we took it out on each other. Uh, well, and, and not uh, to mention you were entering... The preteen mm-hmm. years, which yes. is tumultuous anyway. Yes. So to uh, just to navigate that alone, pretty mm-hmm. much, I cannot imagine. Oh yeah, we were on the hot mess express. Yeah, without a doubt. Yeah. Of that, and so um, I go through, you know, several years, and and that's what was crazy is is here I am, nine years old, and my dad was the one that had the ability to really express love express care. I always knew I was safe and I put quotations marks around that. I knew I was always safe physically no matter, you know, what, but I safe emotionally was a different story. And with my dad I knew I was. With my mom I couldn't verify that. Mm. And so here I was, you know, now ten at my tenth birthday just going, Somebody's supposed to be loving me mm. and it's not happening. Yeah. And I don't know what to do. And so any love, any way to get love was better than not being loved. We're built to connect. I know that now, right? Yeah. So my, my education has taught me we're built to connect and all connection left me. So it's just me and my mom here. We don't know anybody. I don't have friends. We don't have family. And I am looking to anybody to validate me. 
Um, I clung to other families. So, you know, I'm going to use some big words here, but in, in some psychological jargon, but I think it just gives insight. There's this thing called attachment theory. And attachment theory says we attach to our caregivers, the people who love us, the people who care for us, right? So we have secure attachment. We've grown up, we cry, mom or dad meets our needs. It's like, oh, I feel safe enough to explore. I know mom and dad are going to be there. And then you have... um, anxious attachment this is where um maybe you cried and cried and cried and cried mom was anxious when she picked you up because she didn't know what to do and um or that you would go off and there would be i don't know where mom and dad is you know are and having to do all those kind of things um ambivalent attachment is where like um i'm mad at you for leaving me and i'm gonna stay mad at you until i'm ready not to be mad at you so i'm gonna love you on my terms Uh on that and then there's disorganized attachment where a child really isn't even affected whether you leave them or not because everybody always leaves them oh wow and so for me looking back on that now i recognize i had a lot of ambivalent attachment i was mad at my mom and my mom you know now that i've had my healing i recognize my mom couldn't do any better than what she did because she didn't have the skills to do any better than what she did it doesn't mean that the pain caused wasn't any less right so here I was growing up and I was attaching to other families because I was like, oh, this is what I remember from when I was younger. So I would have what you call an attachment injury because my dad had died. My mom technically uh, zoned out, checked out, yeah. disconnected. And um, because of the anger that was going on and the grief that was going on with inside of us, we just didn't have a way to connect. And so I would, I remember even living in town, I didn't have my driver's license and I would go stay with other families for Thanksgiving. I would go stay with other families for Christmas because number one, if my mom and I were in the same house together, it was going to be World War III. And second thing is it just felt better. Yeah. Right. So the love was there. I'm watching them and I'm like, this feels so good. Even though their love really wasn't, and I don't mean this in disregard, I'm not saying they didn't love me, but these other families had their own family. I was just an observer, yeah. but I still felt like I was getting some of it. Does that make sense? Yeah. On there. And so that was most of my childhood. Um, and did, your, did your mom ever have anything, like when you would go spend Thanksgiving and Christmas with your friends, families, like did she ever get angry at you for that, for like leaving her? Or was she just so disconnected that yeah that's a great question i really think she was so tired emotionally Mm. um because i was i mean like i was so hateful and mean and we would i mean i remember her telling me i cried fake tears at my dad's funeral and i remember telling her that i wish she was the one that was gone oh wow i mean so that was our type of relationship and so i think it just gave her time to breathe Uh, i mean honestly um And so whenever, like I said, it it got to the point when I would come home from school, if she was home, I might cook my dinner at 3.30 and go in my room and I wouldn't come out until the next morning because Mm. that was better than World War III happening. Yeah. That was better for her. That was better for me. That was better for everybody, right? Wow. And so it was crazy. Because I came to know Christ when I was in eighth grade at a Dawson McAllister conference. I don't know if anybody out here knows Dawson McAllister. I do not. Okay. okay. (laughs) Fabulous conferences. He recently passed away. But um, great conferences. And interestingly enough, I came to know Christ. um, But my relationship with Christ mimicked, and we know this again with attachment, 
the relationship I had with my mom. Uh, but that's the only relationship I had to understand a father to a daughter relationship. Even though I had my dad's relationship at a very early age, you know, it was starting to dissipate because all I had was this relationship with my mom. Mm. And so, um, go on through the years, uh, I went through my rebellious stage and all the things. And then, um, my senior year of high school, um, uh, I think my mom may have come to graduation. I really don't know. Oh my um, gosh. Yeah. This is, this is the kind of stuff she said she was there and then watched me walk off straight and leave. But I'm like, I don't really know. Um, and so it was other people. I mean, there was somebody else that drove me to my graduation. There was somebody else that brought me home from graduation. I mean, those are, and, and again, she, I don't know what was going through her mind. Um, of course she's grieving. Um, on top of that, we don't have a good relationship on top of that. She didn't graduate high school. So is this a trigger for her? I mean, I just don't know, um, all those things. So I remember asking her to pay for me to take the ACT. And she said, well, why? You're not going to college. Mm. And I was like, okay, but can you do it anyway? (laughs) So I take the ACT and I go to work at a local church. I was the receptionist here. Matter of fact, your dad. Oh God. Yes. Oh. (laughs) (laughs) Anytime someone starts a sentence with your dad, I'm like, oh shoot. (laughs) What do you do now? But your dad would call up there because I can't remember what what did your mom do at the church? She <clears throat> she worked for or I guess she was like the the receptionist or assistant, I don't know, to um I can't remember his name. Okay, now. but he was one of the pastors. A, uh, Abel's. A- oh uh, Miss, uh, Mr. Jerry. Yes, yes, yes. Abel's, that's right. Yes. So he would call up there to talk to her. I would be the receptionist. He'd be like, oh my gosh, you did that so well. And I was like, thank you. <laughs> Every time he would tell me that. Okay, so, wait. I, so I, I'm learning new things here. Okay. Our, our paths go back really far then. Mm-hmm. Because when my mom was working there, I mean, I was in preschool, kindergarten. I mean, I was like six years old. Mm-hmm. And, oh my gosh, and you crossed paths with my family. Look at that. Look at there. I have to tell my dad when I get back home. Yes, you tell him I still remember that. Because I always loved it because I knew I was going to get a compliment that day. <gasps> Oh, when he called. And if you know my history, I didn't get those often. So it really meant a lot. Um, that, but those things again with my mom and here I am there. Well, there was a man that also worked there, Jack Terrell. Yes. You remember Jack Terrell? I remember Mr. Jack. Oh my God. You know what that means? We went to camp together because I would do the kids camps. Shut the front door. (laughs) So my brain is like, boom. Boom. (laughs) So, um, Jack Terrell knew about, he had asked me, what are you going to do? And I said, well, this. And he was like, well, I don't think so. And he said, I'll get you to college. We're going to find a way to get you to college. Oh, wow. And he um, actually contacted East Texas Baptist University, still had a connection there, uh-huh. and got me all the paperwork I needed, all the things, and um, got me to college. You know, I had no money. None. Yeah. Um, and so my first three days at ETBU, I did not eat <gasps> because I had no money. 
Oh my gosh. To be able to go. My mom didn't have any extra money. Every dime was spent on paying a bill or doing this yeah. and and stuff. And so there was a girl there that would um, try to bring me food from the kitchen. She worked in the kitchen, would try to bring me a sandwich or something until the thing opened. Oh, wow. So that I could um, go in there and use my meal card and all those things. So um, here what, we go. Ahead. Sorry. What no. did your mom say when you got into college? Would I mean... You know what's crazy, Leanne, is I don't remember. Mm. It wasn't a celebration. Yeah. I, I just really don't know. She was probably like, thank Jesus she's not here. I mean, honestly, just because even to that point, we were still yeah, just all the time. Um, and so she didn't take me to college. A friend of mine did. Oh, um, my gosh. All these kind of things. So, matter of fact, it was the church that I was at that I was working actually threw me a party. So, threw me a... Yeah, a party, so that I could get the stuff that I needed for my dorm room. That's there. so sweet. Oh yeah, I mean, there's a lot of just God moments. Yeah, I got a plan for you. Oh, P.S. At 16, I have it written in a book that God had called me. What I wrote was, um, I believe you have called me to speak to thousands of youth <gasps> about how to how to help them. And oh, who wow. knew how that was going to turn yeah. out, right? And we'll get into that yeah, yeah. Uh, more. But so here I am now at East Texas Baptist University. Um, I go there to get a Christian ministries degree with a minor in counseling. And thought I was going to be a youth minister. That's where I thought that <laughs> the youth part was going to come in. If y'all know me, girl in bed by 8.30. Yeah. <laughs> Ain't no youth minister ring going I'm pretty on. Sure. I'm pretty sure last night I texted you at like 8.45 and you didn't respond. I, and I was like, she's probably asleep. <laughs> you are so right. You are so right. So um, here I am in college. I'm going through things. Um, Mom and I still, when I tell you we hate, well, I can't say we hated, hated each other, but it sure felt like it. Yeah. Um, there was no phone call. There was no nothing that would allow us to be able to communicate in a healthy way Gosh. um i would it would always end in a yelling match and so i would make sure that every summer i had something to do every break i had something to do again i was spending holidays at p- other people's homes yeah um until my senior year of college and my senior year of college and i remember this like it was yesterday you know i'm a believer that god's going to do what he needs to do to get your attention and so i was in my dorm room and it was October, and um, it was like a just a impression on my heart. You need to call your mom. Mm. And I said, "Oh no, Jesus! Did you get the memo? We don't get okay. along. <laughs> this never works. Call your mom." Oh. No. From that day forward, I went home every weekend. Whoa! Exactly. Um, I went home for Thanksgiving. First Thanksgiving, <gasps> I had spent. With my mom in years. Oh, wow. That Thanksgiving was the first time we ever talked about my father's death in 13 years. Stop. She asked me, we were just sitting on the couch. She said, why were you angry at me all those years? <gasps> oh, wow. I said, because I missed my daddy and nobody wanted to talk about him. And she said, well, I missed him too. Mm. I said, too bad we didn't talk about it. I mean, you know, but I think that was the first time. That we ever understood each other and understood both of us were in pain. Yeah. You know. And so, um, I wish I could say that from there on out we were happy-go-lucky. But I still had all this attachment injury, all this pain, all this stuff that had just accumulated throughout the years. And um, if you knew me back then, you 
so depression runs on a continuum. You know, there is a natural sadness that comes along with grief. There's a natural sadness that comes along with the end. We have this, like, kind of normal grief, whatever normal means, yeah. in there. And then we have the uh, one side of depression that is the, the very lethargic, sad, isolate, just want to hide. Mm-hmm. Then you have actually the other side of grief, which is, I'm going to keep myself busy, go, 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 yeah. reckless behavior, all the things. And yeah. that's where I was. Although my reckless behavior didn't come till later, I was always on the go, and never stood still. I had to always be doing something because if I sat still, the pain was going to creep up Mm. and that wasn't going to work for me. Yep. And so, um, here we were and I still had all this going on. And so we started a healing process at that time, my mom and I, with our relationship, but not in our own individual selves. Yeah. And so I met um, what was my first husband, um, first abusive marriage Mm -hmm. I was in. Um, Any love was better than no love. And I got word. So, you know, I told you, God told me to make that phone call. And there was a healing that began. And two years later, she died of cancer. And so there I was. And I would probably even say after that healing component, it was probably, yeah, about maybe eight or nine months later, uh, she told me she had cancer and then. She died mm. nine months after that. And so, um, had we not had that healing time, I can only imagine yeah. how much more my grief would have been Ooh, um, yeah. without that. So, at 24, I'm an orphan and by myself. And I'm not going to lie, I was scared out of my mind. Yeah. And the, the, the thought of being that alone was way too scary. So, here this guy was. Mm. And um, it was not a God-ordained relationship. Um, I made it happen because I was scared. Yeah. And, um, you know, we didn't last long. We were only married a year and we both recognized this isn't healthy. Um, yeah. <laughs> I got out of that relationship, jumped into a straight, another relationship. Cause again, once he left, what did I have? Um, right. I actually moved in with a friend's family and I can only imagine the torture I probably caused them just because all my actions were so unhealthy. Um, and there was never intentional. Yeah. I didn't know what I didn't know. I was just acting out of don't leave me alone. Got to my second abusive marriage. Mm-hmm. Um, it was more emotional and mental um, than anything, which those scars probably have lasted or lasted longer than, yeah. than any was, physical. Was your first marriage, you said, physical, physically abusive? It was only one time, but it was definitely emotional and mental. Okay. Yeah. And I was, I had gotten so accustomed to really the emotional and mental side of nothing felt different. Does that make sense? Yeah. Like, not that my mom did those things, but the lack of yeah. love. At least you were acknowledging me. I don't care what you were calling me. At least you were acknowledging me. Right. You know, I remember my first marriage dropping to the ground and just saying, I'm a horrible wife. I can't believe I, you, you know, just don't leave me. And, da, 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 da. and I spilled my guts and he looked and we've got somewhere to be. Oh, wow. That was the kind of connection that we had. And in the second one, um, it was more emotional, definitely just messed mm. with my head. Um, and got out of that. And I wasn't innocent in any of these. Yeah. Please know that. You know, it's not all their fault. There was a common denominator, and that was me. Mm. And so I was making unhealthy choices in either one of them. And so... How got, long were you married? Uh, the second time I was married for four years. Oh, okay. On that. Wow. And really God... Um, so in that marriage, I gave God an ultimatum. 
because I had kind of, I really tried to stick through and go, okay, God, um, this was an abusive marriage over here. You're going to forgive me because it's an abusive marriage and you're going to let me go in and do this other marriage. And I kept trying to, I would find a relationship and then ask God to be in it. Yeah. And then I would find ways to make myself believe that God right. <laughs> was in it, right? So if you make yourself see it, you're going to see it, right? Right. Um, and so then um, with that one, I, I did. I mean, um, I was probably the catalyst of, of most. I was not most of it, but I was definitely just as unhealthy as he was. Mm-hmm. And so got out of that relationship. And when I got out of that relationship, I remember packing my car and saying, screw you, God. Mm. Where have you been? Yeah. I can't, you, you haven't been here for me at all. And so I turned a life of, you name it. Yeah. Um, How old are you at this point? Let's see. When I left that when I was 32. Okay. And so uh, I go out on my own and I live a wild lifestyle. Um, I am going to, I mean, in the bar scene, I'm, I'm trying to find anything that'll Mm-hmm. comfort me and in relationships that I should have never been in find myself in my third abusive relationship Gosh. Um, with definitely probably what we would consider a narcissist or a borderline again uh, that push and pull I hate you don't leave me um, yeah. and abusers are good at what they do right they they are good at picking out their victims and, and again I I have to take my responsibility in this mm-hmm. and so um at this point, um, in this relationship, I woke up one morning and a friend of mine, at, when I was teaching at Benton, had been asking me to go to church. And I'm like, no, thank you. And so, but what was interesting is I was actually, remember I told you I stayed busy, 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 busy. So when I got divorced the second time, I jumped into a Master of Liberal Arts program. At least it wasn't a marriage, but it was a Master of Liberal hey. Arts program, right? So yeah. um, I do have a Master's of Liberal Arts with a focus on medieval and Renaissance literature. You are welcome, people. Yeah, you do. Um, so I kept myself busy that way. Interestingly enough, I took a philosophy class. So we had to take, I can't remember, two classes out of our focus area. And so I took this philosophy class um, by Dr. Vassar and... We had to do some really just deep soul searching. And I would say I did a paper on cosmology, on theology. So how the knowledge of our world. <laughs> if y'all could have seen Leanne's face. <laughs> oh, that was priceless. Say what? Um, yeah, I know, right? <laughs> um, how our world shapes what we believe. How what we found out about the world Got impacts it. scripture, impacts what we believe. Okay. Um, and so during that paper, I just remember, like, I think God was even working through that. Yeah. Like, you haven't forgotten about me. Yeah. And I haven't forgotten about you. And I woke up one morning. It was an April morning at, like, 2 or 3 in the morning. And the thoughts were so distinct. I'm either going to wind up dead because I can't handle the pain anymore. Mm. Or I can get some help. Went to church that Sunday. It was at the Simple Church. And the message Aww. that day was, you may be broken, but you're God's masterpiece. Wow. And this is when we met in the theater. And I remember yeah. getting out to my car, and I buried my face in the steering wheel. And I'm like, God, you can never use me. I know I'm too broken. But mm. thank you so much that you brought me home. Yeah. What was beautiful in that moment, and what I see now, is God said, watch me. Mm. Watch me use you. Um, I thought that I had found my healing 
But needless to say, yeah. <laughs> about um, two years later, I found my, God ripped the carpet out from underneath my feet. I'd taken a sabbatical to actually find out if I wanted to go into the church world. And um, so I was actually working at a church during my sabbatical, like part-time. And it was during that time I found myself in deep, deep, deep depression. Mm-hmm. Um, so interestingly enough, when you and I were starting to reconnect was, af- I think it was after, right after I had gotten that healing. I found myself in a state of deep, deep depression and um, started going to counseling every week and really having to unearth what I had thought I'd buried so deep um, in that. And so, you know, all the stuff with my dad, all the stuff with my mom, all the abuse um, from the different relationships that I just really, you know, the the church is good at what it does and I, I love that we have churches that preach the message. But I think sometimes we the church airs heavily on the biblical perspective, and, and rightfully so. I mean, if they don't have the knowledge of the psychological, but um, my husband and I actually, um, I made him have a deep theological discussion yes. this morning over the strongs, right? Um, and so one of the things we talked about was how often, you know, forgiveness is preached and how often um, being a good Samaritan is preached. And those are beautiful things and we need to know those. But there's this other side of the story. There mm-hmm. was the man in the road. Mm-hmm. And sometimes we have to be the man in the road. But yeah. if we're always taught to be the good Samaritan, we don't know how to accept being the man in the road. Yeah. And I was the man in the road. Mm-hmm. And I didn't know how to be. Mm-hmm. Um, so when I went through my depression and I'm working at a church, I'm like, I really don't want to be here. And it was about mid-April. And I opened, I was at that place again, um, and I opened up my, my Bible, and I said, God, if you got something for me, now's a good time to tell me, because I don't think I've got much fight left. Yeah. And this is where he told me to get up. And um, I randomly opened up my Bible, and it fell to um, Psalm 78. And there is a passage there. I have a tattoo on my wrist. Yes, yes. It's my say. first tattoo. Um Maybe my second tattoo that I got. I got my first one um, on my foot. Uh, and it says, because I was telling him, if you've got a purpose for me, now's a good time to tell me. Mm-hmm. And he said, here it is. And the, and the passage is, let my, tell the next generation of my power and might to come. And I was like, got it. Mm. So, 16. I was just about to say, we've connected. Yes. That, that's connected now. Yes. We and so, to you at, yeah. Yeah. He brought that. To pass, and he is bringing that to yeah. pass, you know. Um, and so that began that that journey of purpose, um, and allowed me to see that okay, I, I got some fight left. If you, I think it's Craig Rochelle that says, "If you ain't dead, you ain't done." So <laughs> <laughs> keep it on going. In the midst of all of this going on, another thing happens, and I forgot to mention this. Um, this is actually before I started my healing work. Is I started losing my hearing. Um, so it was actually due to birth control. Crazy enough. Yeah. Yeah. And so, um, I got the diagnosis. I had lost my left ear, um, early, like 24. And I had had hearing problems early on because of, uh, needing to get tubes in my ears and stuff. And so we didn't know if that was connected. Um, so at 24 that happened, I became a teacher. I had a friend who was who knew about my hearing loss and had been paying attention. And she and I were at lunch. She said, "I think you need to get your hearing checked. I think you're. I think it's fallen." And I'm like, "You just ain't being patient with me." 
<laughs> and so I go to get it checked, and sure enough, it had fallen um, 40% in four years. And mm. so um, wow. I did have significant loss, and I, res- I wept because I'm like, I'm a teacher. I yeah. cannot not hear yeah. and be a teacher. And so, uh, but once again, God proved himself. Um, he led me to a passage of scripture. The Psalms are a beautiful place. When you're hurting, when you're down, mm-hmm. when you are just like, I hate everything. <laughs> it's a good place because so did David. Um, and just go into the Psalms and I, there's a passage in there that says, you will hear the Lord's, the Lord's voice above the thunder. You mm-hmm. will hear it above the waters. Just like, okay, God. I will always hear your voice, no matter whether I have my hearing or not. Mm-hmm. Um, but God gifted me with some hearing aids. Um, so in the middle of all that going on, I have this um, as well. And I do remember crying out. There were three distinct moments. You know, I've talked about two, but crying out to God going, why did you leave me here? You took my parents and you left me here by myself. Why couldn't you have just taken me too? But again, God gave me grace to get up yeah. and say, today's a new day. Let's try it one more time. Yeah. And to find my way out of that. So fast forward. And um, once I got my healing, um, really started diving into the pain that I had and opening those wounds, um, then I could see things in a new light. I had a new perspective um, of things. And probably um, about three years later. Well, actually, I went to the American Association of Christian Counselors Conference the first time. It was at that time in Nashville, Tennessee. And I remember going and my heart just pounding because it is an amazing conference. And it's made for um, not just counselors, it's for pastors, it's for lay leaders that work in any kind of capacity that they're counseling with people or talking with people. It's just a fabulous conference. Anyway, while there, that rekindling of, remember what I called you to do? I remember a person talking to me and going, Okay, and this is my second conference. It's every other year. And at that conference, the second time, she said, I don't remember us having this conversation the first time. And so we could either keep having this conversation or you can do something about it. So I go back and I tell my staff or tell the staff that I'm going to get back and get my counseling degree. Mm. And so I started that process. And, you know, now I'm here. (laughs) Well, and, and so I'm looking at all your degrees over here on your wall. But also, why don't, what are you working on right now? Oh, yes. I know you're in the midst of something. <laughs> <laughs> because I'm the professional student yes. on this. So, yes, one of my, um, two of my greatest passions are being merged together and I'm getting my doctorate of psychology with a focus on theology Yay. from Liberty. So I'm super excited about that. Amazing. And, and I think that has been, all of these things have been such a um, window a stepping stone, however you want to call it, to where I am today. Yeah. Um, I don't think I could be as an effective a counselor as I am without having endured what I endured. endured. And, you know, uh, I'll be honest on this podcast. I don't have children. Uh, I'm thankful every day I didn't because you just heard what a hot mess I was in. Mm. Um, those children would be in therapy for like ever if I would have had them. Um, but... I think, too, God did not give me the passion for children because he knew what I'd be working with. Yeah. And I have energy galore. Yes, you do. And it's because of that. And so, you know, I'm able to relate to children. And I admire those counselors that do have children that work with children because they go home to their babies and Mm. they have that stuff in the back of their mind. Um, And I don't have that... 
what's the word? I do take my stuff home. I do have it always in my mind, but I don't have to look at another child and see that, if that makes sense. Yeah. Um, In them. And so I'm able to exude a different kind of energy um, in here. And so I love working with them. And when I'm working with an adult, I tell people all the time, the more I, the more I work with children, the more I learn about children, the more I know about adults Mm -hmm. because we were all babies at once and our injuries often happen in childhood. Mm -hmm. And so being able to look at an adult and understand where they're coming from in their childlike self. Mm. Um, Jesus told us to come to him like children. Why? Because of that innocence, because of that purity. But sometimes that gets um, jacked up along the way. Yeah. You know, Uh, so I think it's, it's great. Every time I come in here, I pray over my con. I'm praying over myself. I'm praying the armor. I'm praying God's presence because I know the power of what can happen when you find the healing yeah. that you so desperately seek. Mm-hmm. But I would say, I know I went through a lot of stuff. Yeah. Uh, well, and I was going to say, I think with, you know, what you're doing now with your counseling and working with Kit, which I want to talk about play therapy also mm-hmm. in a second, but because um, you said that day after church, you said, I know you can never use me. I'm so broken. But I think that just makes you obviously more, even more qualified, but it just as a leader, because now you can lead from a place that I've already done this. Mm-hmm. I've already come from here. So now I can lead you. And I mean, you know, it's always when a leader asks you to do something that that leader hasn't even done. Well, you're not going to get, <laughs> you're not going to get anywhere really with that with your people, but because you have been there and you've done the hard work, you're able to speak from a place of like, I'm not, this is not just textbook stuff I've learned in school. Mm-hmm. I've lived this and mm-hmm. I've done it. And mm-hmm. I just think that's really cool. Mm-hmm. And cause I, you know, I, I don't know. I just think that's really cool. Oh, but I want to circle back. Cause in your intro, you said you play for a living. Yes. I so do. can we talk about that? Absolutely. <laughs> like I would say no to that. <laughs> so tell us about play therapy and what you like, how, how that's integrated into your day-to-day. Sure. So play therapy, what we believe is that play is the language, toys, or the communication. And so we take a child's natural medium of play and incorporate it into their healing. Um, and so a lot of times I'll have kids come in and no kid wants to sit on that couch over there and go, let me tell you about my day. You right. know, they're going to ask you in very insane ways to love them, to mm-hmm. care about them. They're mm-hmm. going to, there's a... I don't know, a meme or whatever you want to call it out there that says children will ask for um, love in some of the unhealthiest ways. And sometimes they just ask for it through your time, Mm. through sitting down and playing. And so we make it out, all the toys, if you know me, I love Sandra. I love all (laughs) things Sandra. And so I say, show me your family and animals. That's always a fun one. Oh, yes. yes. Um, So we'll do those kind of things and um, we'll play games. And and while we're playing a game, we may be talking. It's not talk therapy like I do with adults. Now, some adults, I make them get over here and play. Some, sometimes, uh, even adults now, they never learned how to play when they were younger because, Mm. like me, they had to grow up really fast. Yeah. And so there was no time for play. And then when they get in their adulthood, they don't know how to navigate this this world that was constantly changing and evolving and that can be playful and their own kids that want to be playful. And so we, we sometimes have to reteach. And, and another thing that play does is it gives psychological distance from the trauma, from um, the incident, whatever it is. You know, we may be playing in here and they pull out a dragon and the dragon attacks the cute little girl. You know, and it's, oh, so that dragon must be really angry at that little girl. 
So we're not saying you are mad at that dragon or mm. you are mad at that little girl. It's the dragon that receives that, which gives that child that little bit of buffer wow. in there. It's that. fascinating. So, yeah, it's very fascinating. Yeah. I know that you little child life specialist. You. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Um, okay, so let's. I, I want to uh, backtrack just a little bit in your story. Sure. Um, when you said you started your healing journey, can you speak um, a little more to You know, I'm just thinking of someone who might be listening who maybe is in the middle of their healing mm-hmm. journey or mm-hmm. debating starting a healing journey, uh, wherever they may be. But can can you speak a little bit to that and kind of um, just your process and you your journey in your journey? <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> I you. Yeah, I got your, you. Your experience. Yeah. So, you know, a lot of times, and I have people all the time come in here and go, so how long is this going to take? Yeah. <laughs> well, congrats. I have no idea. Yeah. <laughs> you know, um, you have to, I think, you know, when you're looking at your life and you realize I'm hurting every day, I'm crying every day, I can't function, I'm missing out on things, I can't connect to my children like I want to, whatever it is. You know, going to talk to somebody, I think the scariest part of that is it's going to hurt. If I know the stove is hot, I'm old enough to know that the stove is hot. Why would I want to go stick my fingers on it? Yeah. But in this case, we're asking you to stick your fingers in it. Mm -hmm. Because that's actually going to be the healing. You know, when you think about scripture, there's so much imagery um, in scripture, so much metaphor. But Daniel in the lion's den, Mm -hmm. um, you know, the Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego that walked in the fire, they didn't shy away from it. Yeah. They knew what was going to be on the other side. And I hope this isn't offensive to anybody, but I, I tell people sometimes, I've been to hell, Mm. and I can tell you that you can make it back from it. Yeah. And, and that's the truth. You're going to go through pain while you're in therapy. It's going to bring up uh, the demons that are in there. But either you can do that now and say a year of your life will be maybe the hardest, mm-hmm. but most courageous and bravest thing you'll ever do. Mm-hmm. Or 10 years from now, you're still struggling with the same issue. And now you got 10 more years of things yeah. that you have to work through. Um, so, you know, in the journey, I had to be willing to be raw. I had to be willing to be vulnerable. Vulnerable, I mean, Brene Brown has studies after studies on vulnerability and shame and guilt. Um, but, you know, vulnerability is one of the scariest things we'll ever experience because mm-hmm. we're asking you to look at our, our raw self. Um, one of the things as, as a counselor I appreciate so much is somebody's walking in, doesn't know me, and I'm asking them to show their rawest parts to me. Yeah. Um, and so I tried to give gentleness to that, um, speak to that fear that is in there. Mm. Um, it's real, and, and I get it. But again, God called us to abundant life. Mm-hmm. Are you able to live in your most abundant life? Abundant life, if you have an abundant life, that doesn't mean you won't have pain. It mm. doesn't mean you won't have struggle. It just says, in the midst of the pain and the struggle, I can still have joy. Yeah. I can still have peace. I can still have the calm mm-hmm. um, that's there. And so that's what you have to think of when you're going into to your healing journey. Is this going to hurt? I'm not even going to lie. But the end result is what I'm going to focus on, not how much it's going to hurt in the meantime. Because I'll never walk into a counselor's office if that's going to be my only focus. Yeah. Yeah. And and uh, counseling is... It's kind of, I think, for a lot of people, a daunting mm-hmm. word. Mm-hmm. And I know it kind of gets this 
bad rap sometimes where it's like, oh, well, I'm in counseling and immediately it's like, oh, what's wrong? Mm. You know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And it kind of has this stigma to it. They're like, oh, mm-hmm. you're in counseling? Well, something mm-hmm. must be going on. You know, when mm-hmm. when sometimes there is something going on and sometimes it's just a, to check in with yourself and yeah. to get another perspective. And Absolutely. Uh, which I've learned a ton from you, especially when we worked uh, parallel to each other in ministry um, and just and watching you watching you with adults and children. I mean, not that I was in the room. Let me just disclaimer. <laughs> I was not in the room during sessions, but, um, you know, and I would hear y'all laugh from out the door and all this, that, and just picking up things from you that you've taught me. Um, but I, counseling is, uh, it, it really is fascinating. And especially, you know, like when you work with children and, um, it's just the stuff that we can learn from them, mm-hmm. but also from our own selves. Like you said, we were all children at one point, mm-hmm. you know, and even when you were going through your story, you were talking about all the attachment theories. I'm like thinking of my own life and I'm like, oh, do I have any of that? I mean, <laughs> you know, like as a 33 year old, I'm sitting here like, oh, I didn't know that, you know, mm-hmm. I'm still learning. But, um, okay. I want to talk about your, your husband now. Mm-hmm. So can you tell us that story, how y'all met? So I went through after my um, last relationship um, and I was going through my healing, you know, I tried to date people in between it kept not working because mm-hmm. who wasn't healthy? Me. <laughs> and so um, God kept saying, not yet, not yet. So I had five years of singleness. So all you single ladies, I get ya. Um, single mm-hmm. men, you. Um, it's, it's difficult. And I kept going, um, hello, Jesus, don't forget about me right here. And he's like, I'm not. <laughs> um, and so there were struggles in that. And so I uh, was reading a book. And I just remember um, I was praying. It said to pray over your future husband. And I was like, okay, Lord, I know I'm supposed to be praying over him, but I really want to pray over me right now. (laughs) Help a girl out. And I just remember the Holy Spirit speaking to me and go, you may be ready, but he may not be. Mm. So let's pray. And so I'm like, wow, crap. So I started praying. Um, I made a list of about six things um, that I wanted that I knew because of my own history um, that I had to stick with. Uh, the top one was that the very first one I wrote down is, God, I know I'm going to have insecurities. Um, there are going to be parts of me. I'm going to have my own soul wounds. I'm not asking to date somebody or marry somebody that will take those away, but instead will walk with me through them. Mm-hmm. That's my journey. I need to walk that. Um, and then one was um, that knows the Lord, that yeah. wants to walk with the Lord. Mm-hmm. Um, one that has humor. Because well, <laughs> you got that one hands down. Well, um, on there and then several others, and so that gentleman walked into my life. Um, I was working at uh, a church here in town, and he was actually on staff as well, and had gone through um, a divorce and mm-hmm. in um, that process, I connected actually with his daughter and just helping her to to cope with that divorce, and we wound up connecting, which was awkward. For that daughter. She was like, eh, man, about this. Um, yeah. She was super patient through all that. And so, yes, Mr. Brian Reed is yes. my wonderful husband. And who is patient as all get out with me. Who is my rock. Mm-hmm. Um, definitely keeps me grounded in so many ways. If you know anything about the Enneagram, I'm a two with a wing of a three. Okay. Yeah, so that's why I could have me a party over uh-huh. her. Um, and then he's a two with a wing of a one. Oh. So when I want to have my party... He's the one going, now, have you thought about this? Like, stop pooping on my parade. But, uh, yeah, he's great at, at keeping me grounded. And um, 
I actually, on the day that we got married, I gave him that list of things I'd prayed over because I had kept it all those years. Yeah. And he has, uh, God has shown me through him what love was meant to be, Mm. um, what true love um, was meant to be. And I pray daily. I have a a journal that um, write many of my prayers down in and just, God, thank you. Thank you for what family is. I have now, you know, because of my family disruption has, you know, just death in nature. My dad didn't ask for that. I mean, it was something that happened. My mom didn't ask for that. Um, I have probably now been in family longer than I was even as a child. Oh, um, yeah. And so to experience what that is is just amazing. And he's been such a great supporter to me. And so, yeah. you know, the one thing I'll say is, those out there that think God's after them, that mm-hmm. think God can never give them because they've done too much wrong, um, proof that that's just not the God that we serve. Mm-hmm. Um, on top of that, his scripture yeah. is full of words of kindness and gentleness and hope. And he's just not a vindictive God. He's not holding on to your sin. The scripture says he throws it as far as the east is from the west. Mm. Um, his blood covered a multitude of sins on the cross. And he doesn't die daily on the cross. He died one time. Yeah. And that covered our sin for eternity. And so, um, you know, here Brian is. And I think that's that God daily showing me mm-hmm. what love can be. Um, and we, and, and now I know that all that time of, <laughs> of singleness, um, was also during my healing time. Yeah. And so I definitely would not have been able to go into a relationship with him without having those years. Yeah, for sure. And how long have you been married now? It'll be six years, August 8th. Oh, yes. that's so, and, and so his youngest daughter, mm-hmm. um, the one you were referring to, uh, when I was volunteering. We're going to say her name because I don't care. Caroline. Okay, yeah. Hey, Caroline. Actually, I still have her in my phone as Sweet Caroline because uh, I would always sing the yeah. song to her. Anyway, she texted me the other day and it came up, Sweet Caroline, and I was like, yep. Um, but I was volunteering in the high school ministry. Mm-hmm. I got connected with Caroline. Um, we just became soul sisters, I feel like. Um, and I, at the time, oh, rest, rest in peace, but I had a convertible Mustang. <laughs> And I have memories with Caroline of us riding with the top down. I'm like, I don't know if Brian knows this, but I'm like, you let me take your daughter around in a convertible. But, um, and we would just have the music cranked and just singing. And anyway, all that to say, um, I remember when you and her dad, Brian started dating. Um, and I, I remember Caroline kind of, you know, walking that out in her head and, Mm -hmm. Um, and so Brian's kids are all grown now mm-hmm. and have kids of their own. Mm-hmm. So now what, what is that dynamic like for you? Cause I know you said you don't have any biological children, sure. but you've come into this family mm-hmm. with, with Brian and all of his kids. So what is that like for you? That has been fun. Um, you know, because they were older, uh, when we got married, Caroline was a senior when we got engaged uh-huh. and then she was headed to Baylor uh, when we got married. But um, for the other two, it, it's been cool, um, to love on, even though, you know, they were older married, they didn't necessarily need that, that mom figure in yeah. there. So, I'm, you know, it didn't change the fact that I still love to give and love yeah. to be a part of those kind of things. And I think we've all connected well yeah. together. Right. It's, mm-hmm. it's a beautiful picture. Yeah. Yeah. It really is. It is the redemption story. Yeah. That's true. Um, uh, well, that's amazing. Uh, you you have such an incredible, um, such an incredible testimony, and you're just walking proof of 
God's faithfulness and that, you know, anytime you doubt if he has a purpose or a plan, he always does. Mm -hmm. And, um, I just admire you and I I love you to death. So thank you for sharing your testimony and just being open with us. I appreciate it. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Thank you for allowing me to share it. Yeah, of course. Okay. Well now I have my fun questions. (laughs) (laughs) So, uh, just our fun questions to get to know you a little bit better. What are three things in the world of Peridot that you do every day? Oh, you just threw out. Oh, shoot. Is that one of your things? <laughs> you just threw out my name. So, yeah, those who know me know me by Perry, but my real name is Peridot. Um, I often laugh because I'm like, Mom, really? Seriously? You gave me Peridot? And you didn't even give me hope in my middle name, y'all. It goes Levon. So, Peridot, Levon. Gilbert. I did not know that about you. Yeah. I knew yeah. Peridot, but I did not. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. And I keep asking anybody if they want to name their children that, and I have yet to have an offer taken. But do you know what's a really cute name? What? It's just Dot. That's a cute name. Shoot. Shoot. <laughs> go for it. Okay. We'll just go by Perry. So, what was the question? You got me sidetracked. I don't even remember the question. What, <laughs> what are three things you do every day? It, Every day in every, general. Every Brush day. my teeth, comb my hair. No, I'm okay, joking. I was going to say, <laughs> nope. <laughs> Three things I do every day. I like it when I get my little puppy dog. Oh, He's a yeah. basset hound. Yes. And you just don't put your dog. Because you'll be eyes. And so we have moments together. Your dog. Every time you post pictures of your dog. <laughs> we had a little sweater for him. Oh, my God. I can't. I can't. So I'd probably say me and my dog have moments. And then um, every day uh, I do my quiet time. And then Every day. So, you know how you started Blacklist from the first to the end? Uh-huh. We thought we would be real brilliant, and we started NCIS from the very beginning. Well, that's been going for like 48 years. <laughs> so, so every night, you- <laughs> we at least watch one to two episodes of NCIS. People, we are on season eight right now. <laughs> There's 18 I was just about to ask, seriously, how many are there? There are like 18. 18. Okay, well, I'll check back with you in (laughs) five years and see if you're all the way through that. (laughs) NCIS. NCIS. Love me some Mark Harmon. I've never seen it, so I wouldn't. You crush me. Okay. That's going to be your assignment. Okay. (laughs) Deal. Um, I may need counseling over that. Yeah. (laughs) Who has influenced you in your life and why? Who has influenced me in my life and why? I mean, one seriously is Jack Terrell. Because had he not really stepped in, there would be no degrees. There would be no counseling. And I'm not saying God isn't big enough to bring somebody else into my life. But he definitely was the catalyst. God used Mm -hmm. him as a conduit to say go. Um, So I would say he would be one um, that I can definitely recall. And I think there have been a number of people... In my life that have just spoken to hang in there. Yeah. Hold on. You're going to make it. God's spending time with you right now. Enjoy that. You know, Mm. those kind of things. And I can't recall all their names, but those, as scripture would call them, witnesses of faith Mm -hmm. that have stood behind me and said, we're going to get you there. You know, we'll, we'll stand behind you and support you. It's our journey to walk, you know, when we're on our healing journey. Nobody could take that for us. But, um, you know, we'll support you while you do it. And they did. Mm. So I'd probably say those. Okay. Um, what you love to read. Mm-hmm. You said that. So what books have impacted you over Ooh. your life? Number top one. 
I'll, I'll tell you my top three because okay. we could be here all day if we talked about every book. Okay. Um, Redeeming Love. Yes. And I, I don't read fiction twice because what's the point? You already know what's going to happen. Mm-hmm. I've read that one three times. Oh, wow. So I've read it at different different points of my journey. So mm-hmm. each, you know, a different part pointed out to me at that time. So I'd probably say definitely that one. The Shack um, is one. Yes. Yes. The book, and I never watched the movie, so I can't speak to the movie, but... Um, the book, definitely, there were just the imagery and the things that were going on in there. I'm like, oh my gosh, I totally get this. Um, <laughs> this last one, y'all gonna think I'm nuts. The Twilight Saga. <laughs> Stop. <laughs> Why? So there's a couple of things on the Twilight Saga. Jeez. Number one, at my unhealthiest, I was 100% into Edward and Bella. Right, because um, you just love, I mean, it was just beautiful in the movies. Um, and you're into the dynamic because what does every girl want? They think they want that. Sure. Um, which was so codependent. Now that we look at it, I'm like, oh my gosh, these people need therapy. Um, but <laughs> if I could give therapy to fictional characters, it would totally be the vampire and the girl. Okay? But they still made your top three. So. <laughs> um, and so there's that part of it. I just remember the unhealthy connection that I had to. And I actually had to stop watching them and, and reading the books. Yeah. Oh. On there. Um, so then fast forward into my... Uh, master level arts class okay so i started that program and then stopped because we're not going to talk about what i was going to do my thesis on because that really nerd me out um and so i stopped wait were you going to do it on twilight i well i was going to initially do it on kenneth Branagh's film adaptations of shakespeare okay <laughs> Um, and so I quit the program because the professor who was having my thesis was just, it just did not work out. Uh-huh. And so move forward and I was going through my healing journey. When you take a sabbatical, you have to, um, take at least six hours for every semester that you're off, um, as to continue the sabbatical or whatever. So, uh, they had contacted me actually and asked me to finish my, um, degree and I was like okay well I'll do it under one condition that I get to change my thesis the religious symbolism in Stephanie Meyer's Twilight Saga well there are some there is some 72 pages worth of (laughs) (laughs) so if anybody wants to read my thesis it'll be at the LSU library we're gonna (laughs) gonna link it in the show notes (laughs) (laughs) that's amazing that is amazing and and anybody would do that Oh God! That, that that I'm learning all kind of things about. What's your middle name again? <laughs> I was in, I was Laverne in my head. I'm no, like, that's not no. it, but I'm close. No, no. Okay. Ask me my dad's middle name. What? <laughs> what's your dad's middle name? Lafon. Stop! Ah! Ah! Look, crazy. I just hit the table. The black. Lafon. Lafon. Can you spell that? Use L- it in a sentence. Capital L, small A. Capital F, small O N. Okay, and how do you spell your middle name? A capital L, small A, capital B, small O N. <laughs> so, is it safe to say that you were named after your dad in a way? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. yeah. Sure. Why didn't they just give you your dad's middle name? Why couldn't they have just named me Mary? <laughs> <laughs> I'm just saying. Lafon and Lafon. This is I. I see. Oh, I see so many things in my head. I, I see a book. I see a TV show. I see you doing your own podcast. Yeah, yeah, yeah. All on how my name has damaged me throughout life. Now, you know, now it's a cool name. People don't forget it. I'll never. 
Yeah. <laughs> and so there's that aspect. But growing up, that was not fun. Uh, sure. Uh, there's a pair of what? <laughs> and a lahoop. That'd be me. <laughs> or in, in, always in college, it was like, ah, Gilbert. Uh, that's me. That's me. Let me help you. Just scope my pantry. Oh, man. Oh, that's amazing. Oh, Lord. Okay, my last question for you. Uh, what's something about you that would surprise people? Well, evidently my name. I, that <laughs> surprised me, for sure. Um, but, okay, so I am an old soul. I mean, people may already know. That may not be a surprise to anybody. But I do love to quilt and embroider. What? Yes. I knew yes. you were an old soul, but I didn't know you liked to quilt. Yes, my mom. Uh, growing up, so my mom had me when she was 41, so yeah, wow. like, I was, I think I was a surprise, <laughs> and there, so, um, her era, she was born in 36, so her era, you know, depression era, and then you have, of course, World War II, and all the things, so you had to make your own stuff a lot of times, so she had quilts from, like, her aunts had made, her great aunts had made. I still have some of those quilts. Wow. Um, my grandmother also quilted. So, when my mom died, I wanted to do something mm. that I could be in honor of for her. Yeah. So, I took quilting. I took a four-week, maybe a six-week, hand quilting class. Like, I know how to do all this stuff by hand. And so, I don't do much by hand anymore. <laughs> now that we have machines, that can be done. Yeah. Uh, but, yeah, so I know how to do that. And when I have chances to. And there was a time where I was doing quilts for kids with cancer. Oh. And giving that um, very simple makeup. But, yeah, I can do that. So, that, I guess that's a surprise. Wow. No, yeah, that's a, I mean, I feel like Sorry that's such an art. Sorry, anything like, you know. No, I feel like that's such a, it's kind of a lost art yeah. these days. Yeah, you don't really see too many people who know how to hand quilt. Yeah. As much anymore. Hmm. Mm-hmm. So. so if one friend interviewing you on a podcast <laughs> needed a quilt made out of her old Louisiana Tech t-shirts. I'd tell her find somebody. Okay. <laughs> okay. <laughs> oh, okay, Barry. Well, thank you again just for taking time on, on your Saturday morning and hanging out with me and just sharing your story. I really appreciate it. Thank you for having me. Yes. Yay. Peace out. Yay. Peace. All right, y'all, there you have her, Peridot, LaVon, Gilbert Reed. (laughs) And I bet you'll never forget her either. I hope that y'all laughed along with us as much as we did during our chat. And as always, I pray that you got some encouragement, some inspiration, some wisdom here today. Don't forget, y'all, share this podcast with your friends and family or anyone that you think would benefit from these incredible women and their testimonies. And hey, before you go on your travels, if you don't mind just giving us a quick rating and review, that helps others find our podcast easier. And plus, it just makes us look really, really awesome. So thank y'all for stopping by and hanging out with us today. We cannot wait to join you again here on Get Up Girl.